going to correct <laughs> the Wednesday the Wednesday Bible study is at 6:30, okay? Starting the 22nd, 6:30. Just like the prayer service that had that said 7 is also at 6:30. So remember that. Also, if you remember last week, I said that you had one more week to sign up for our house churches groups. We've decided to extend that till today. And Dalton and Ann are going to have during afterwards they're going to be set up at a table back here with a little sign-up sheet. And if you really, really are saying, you know, I should have signed up for that, you have one more chance. After this, we're going to move on. And we'll let you in a group probably if you join. But we're starting a study, and you'll be coming in like at part three. And so it's, it'll be muted. The other thing that I wanted to bring up. Oh, yes. If this is your first time here, welcome. My name is Pastor Brian. Or just Brian. I actually like that better. Uh, <laughs> If you're wondering what's going on, we don't eat soup every week. This is a new thing we're trying. <laughs> it's called Super Second Sundays, where we hang out and eat together afterwards. So this is a new thing as of today. And hopefully it will go well. I think it will. I mean, it's very hard to mess up. So we'll have a really good time afterwards. So I'm going to preach now, and then we're going to eat soup and hang out and get to know each other better. Does that sound good? Everybody good with that? Do you want to come pray? No. She said yes. She said yes. Okay. Yolanda can come pray. Come on, Yolanda. Y'all can't be doing each other like that. Like, come on. Let's pray. We're also going to be praying for Yolanda's son, David, after the service. He's entering the military. And so afterwards, what we're going to do, anybody, I'm going to say this at the end, but I want anybody, especially our elders and everything, we're going to meet up in this front corner and lay hands and pray for him. And speak blessing on his life. And this, this is going to kind of be a celebration of that afterwards. Um, that's why Yolanda, we have to thank for all the cakes that are out there. She brought all the cakes. But now, she, now she's going to be praying for me as I speak. God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for yet another opportunity to give your name praise. God, I pray right now that you would um, touch Pastor Brian as he's about to bring forth the word. God, let our hearts be receptive. And, God, we just honor you. We thank you for your goodness, your gratefulness, your mercy, God. There is truly nobody like you. And because of you, we are here today. God, we give your name the praise. Help him in the name of Jesus. Amen. Help him. Help him indeed. Amen. If you are coming, this is all right, guys. <laughs> that lasted a little too long. If you're, uh, this is part two of a new series we're doing on the book, or not the book, the story of Gideon in the book of Judges. And so if, if this is the first one you're hearing, you need to go back and listen to the first one so it'll make more sense. But like I had said last week, we're also starting this thing where the kids are studying the same thing we're studying in here. So we're all on the same page. And so they may ask you some questions after the story because it's a little interesting. So what we learned last week, part one of Gideon, this is part two, which is called uh, what does it say? Time for action. I couldn't remember the exact verbiage that I used, but time for action. The first part, I'll give you a brief summary, was we're looking in the book of Judges where God has given the people of Israel this land. They've, they've taken over, but they haven't exactly followed God's instructions, and they've started to mesh with the people that are there. They've started to worship those gods, and there's this dark time where God starts to raise up these judges that help lead everybody in the right direction, and they follow for a little while, and then they fall back, and they follow a little while, and then they fall back, and then they follow a little, you know, and you see this repeated thing, and then you come to the story of Gideon, and 
I think our lives reflect that often, where we follow God or we have these kinds of things, and then we then we fall away. And then, you know, this kind of this happens to a lot of us, and that's why I wanted to kind of take a look at this story. And Gideon finds himself. Uh, he's kind of a, he, he in the story we looked at last week. He's kind of a nobody. He's not really anybody, any special person, you know, per se that you would think God would pick to go. That's the guy. And then God comes and kind of meets him and says, "You're a mighty warrior. Who's going to save everybody?" And he's like, "What are you talking about?" You know. And we talked about that last week. And God confirms this to him, and so he's ready to go. Okay, it's time for me to act on this information that I have. And I talked a lot about this last week. How the truth of who God is, makes itself known. We don't have to worry about that. You know, we don't have to take care of God for him. He can take care of himself. You see what I'm saying? That's a very, very important thing to understand about who God is. God doesn't change because of our opinion of him. He doesn't change because what we say we believe about him or what we say we don't believe about him. None of that changes anything. God is who he is. So in his name, when he says to Moses, I am that I am, sent me. Like there's this whole like, I exist because I exist it's so far beyond what we can even conceive as who God is. He could take care of himself, okay? The other thing to take away from last week is if God shows up and says, hey, you're the guy for the job, you can argue with him like Gideon does, but he's probably right, if you follow what I mean. Obviously, that was sarcastic. He's certainly right. But today we're going to talk about two actions that Gideon starts to do or take because of this understanding that he has now. He finds out, okay, this is the truth. God is, you know, and he's saying that we are going to take, you know, we're in spite of all the details, meaning I'm nobody and we are nobody, and this huge army is, you know, taking over our country. In spite of all of that, God's probably right. So I'm going to start acting on that. So the thing is, we start to look at what God tells him to do. So there's two actions here that we want to look at. Action one is the first act, which is to destroy the foreign gods that are present. And we'll start in verse 25. It just dawns on me that I didn't put any verses in there, so I'm just going to read it, so don't worry about it. This is, if you want to read along, if you have a Bible, which you should, Judges 6, and we're going to start in verse 25. And if you don't, you can download the app. It's free. (laughs) So... Go ahead and do that. You can look at your phone while we're doing this. Just don't go on Facebook or something. All right. Verse 25. The same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, and tear down. Listen to this. This is what God is telling him to do. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering there. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than the daytime. So God's first instruction to him now is, there's an altar here to a foreign god. You need to tear that down. And I actually have some instructions. I want you to... um, put an offering to me on this place. So, like, you have something. This is, it, it, if you noticed, it said his father's. So this is his dad's altar that he's built to this false god. This is the god of the land. You know, I'm going to talk, there's a lot of metaphorical language here. There's gods of our land as well, okay, guys? We don't like to spiritualize it that way. 
you know, we don't call things gods, but they have the they have the role of gods in our lives. We worship them. They give us things. We think they have power, all this sort of stuff. There's lots of gods in our land as well. His first instruction from the real God is tear down this altar and then use the wood of it to make a real offering to me. And so Gideon is he's starting to get the memo, and he's bold enough to do it. He's still afraid, though. Like we saw him last week, he was threshing wheat in a wine press to hide. Like He's like, I need this weed, da-da-da-da, but I'm going to do it in a hidden way so that these guys don't come take it from me. So we're still kind of, we're coming out of that mindset. He still remembers, he feels like he's a nobody, da 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 all this kind of thing, but he's now moving into taking action. So he's doing a very bold thing, but he does it at night to kind of, you know, to hide from everybody. So, but he tears down his father's altar. And when I was praying and thinking about that, that when I talk about this, I need to be very clear. We have gods in our society. In other cultures, these types of cultures, they still had actual, like, objects that they were worshiping as these gods in place of, the, like, shrines and actual idols and things. We've, like, because of, like, the Enlightenment and stuff in our Western culture, we think we've left all that behind, but we didn't. We just let it, it comes back around, and now it's even more mysterious because we worship things like power and money and sex the same way they did. It's just now we've cut off the fact that we even know we're doing that. So these things control us, and we worship them. I know that's strong words I'm using, <laughs> and we don't even know how it's What's happening? We don't even see the spiritual connection anymore as a society. And when I saw tear down your father's altar, this culture we find ourselves in has many of our father's altars in them. And for some of us, it's very specific. You even see ideas in the Bible of generational curses. There's things in your family that sometimes come down. It's like, why does everybody seem to... You could fill in the blank there. You know, oftentimes we think of really bad things. We're like, why is everyone coming to, like this? Like my dad, I struggle with this thing. My dad struggles with this thing, and his dad struggled with this. It's like, what is that? The Bible calls this generational curses, and these things need to be broken down. They need to be broken down. This is like to follow Jesus properly requires the tearing down of these altars and the actual tearing down of them. Not like, well, I'll just pretend like that's not there anymore. Like Gideon's getting the message here. But this thing is still present. It has to be torn down, okay? It doesn't just magically disappear, okay? This is a very important thing because we're going to have to take a stand for Jesus, okay? All of us. In some way and in some place and tear down the altars of our fathers or in our lives Jesus calls it like this in Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And then I'll listen to this. This is usually people cut off before they 
you know, they don't. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So Jesus and following Jesus is requiring of us to take a stand in the truth of who he is. It doesn't mean we have to be a jerk to everybody. And, fr- and frankly, it means that we shouldn't be. But there's going to be times where the, the altars of the world around us are built and worshipped a certain way, and we have to tear them down. People aren't going to like that. And you'll see in this story that they don't. Um, but then you see this other thing that, I'll come back to that in a second. There's another part on top of this, that when we tear down our altars or our family's altars or these things that we struggle with, okay, oftentimes, and then you see immediately right on top of that, you're building an altar to the Lord, okay, on top of that, using the wood as part of the offering, okay? So if you can follow me on this, and I have to just make, I'll just make up an example. If, if your family like, or you, or what you've struggled with, I don't know, alcoholism or something like that. And this is not a particular, this is, all, all of it fits the same way. I'm just going to use this one, okay? You just have alcoholism. And then God comes in, and he sets you free from that. And he says, tear that down. And then you tear it down. Then you build in that place a place of worship to God for what he's done. This is like how we talk about testimonies, Okay? Like they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and not loving the... You see, this testimony part is that this was what I worshipped. Now I've torn it down by the power of, of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ. And the testimony I have is I can stand on this in a place of worship. It's like our authority in that area is related to the fact that... You see what I'm saying? Our worship to God is fueled by this former idol worship. You know, you see a lot of times people that have really come from some bad things, when God saves them, they've got a lot of word, wood to burn up. They're really worshiping the Lord. You know, some people that kind of like, you know, you get what I'm trying to say. We have an authority in an area of the altars we've torn down, and the worship will be fueled by that. But Gideon tearing down this altar bothers everybody as you would suspect this altar's been there it's called his father's altar and everybody in the town um wakes up in the morning and it's all torn down so they're like what is happening right now so they ask around they ask each other who did this this is in verse 29 who did this and when they carefully investigated they were told gideon the son of joash did it And the people demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die. So, (laughs) this is a funny thing. We often like to imagine that when we step out and act on behalf of God, that everybody will like it and will like us because we're doing it. And I can tell you from experience, oftentimes that's just not true. There are times when that that is true, you know. But if you're going to use that as a measuring stick, you're not going to get there, like, at all. I would even argue that in the kind of environments we're talking about, about tearing down altars to false gods, just about every time we do that, people don't like it. But like I said earlier, we're going to be required to take a stand for Jesus. Like he said, take up our cross and follow him. Now, 
this is when I said I was coming back to this. This is an important distinction to make. Us taking a stand for Jesus does not feel the same as expressing political opinions on social media. Okay? Y'all see what I'm saying? Taking a stand for Jesus is not synonymous with your opinions about coronavirus. Okay? They are not the same thing. Okay? They're rad- they could be radically different. And I can give you a good guide. Okay? How can you tell if I'm taking a stand for Jesus or just spouting something? Or think? Are you denying yourself? Jesus said, I read it, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever wants to lose their life will... So there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of things, and they think, and I'm being generous, they think they're taking a stand for Jesus, okay? I think some of these people probably know they're not, but most of them, at least people caught up, they think they are, and they aren't, Okay? It's important to know the difference. Are you denying yourself and taking up your cross? Because if what you're doing exalts yourself or exalts another person, it isn't denying yourself and taking up your cross. When we take a stand for Jesus, it only exalts him, okay? I'm getting a little heavy. We're going to move on. But like I said, our confidence in who Jesus is and who God is has to be so thorough that we don't feel weak, that we don't feel the weakness that this world operates on. You see? Let me explain that a little bit. You see this in the answer of Gideon's dad. Because they said, bring out your son, he must die. Because he tore down this altar to a false god. And, and we're looking at this from like the, you know, thousands of years away, thousand foot view of like, we can say it's a false god. When you're stuck in the middle of it, you go... This guy's tearing down something we think is important. This guy's tearing down something that we worship. This guy's tearing down something we think is giving us power. This guy is tearing down things that we venerate and celebrate as being, you know. He's tearing them down, so we have to kill him because he's doing something wrong that we think is wrong. But it's spiritual. So he's like, He's dishonored this God over here. We can stand back and go, well, that's a false God, you know. But when you're stuck in the middle of it, it's not so easy to see. They go, he's tearing down the altar to our God over here. We need to kill him. And so Gideon's dad has the best response, which we all need to remember. He says, but Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him. So they're they're ready to kill the guy, all right? And he says this, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. And then he makes this this claim, which is the most important thing that we need to hold on to. If Baal is really a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. Let me just read that again. I want I really I really hope this is sinking in at the level that it, it if if Baal is really a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. See, we think all of these things we worship have all this power. We act like they do. And only to the level that we give them this authority in our lives do they have it. And then all of a sudden, like I said last week, reality shows up. And he's like, well, if this guy's all he's cracked up to be, 
He can take care of himself. What, do you got to do it? Oh, I get it. Your, your God can't take care of himself. You have to step in and take, you know. God, and the reason this is important is because it works the other way around. Because real gods, Jesus, can take care of himself. Jesus says, nobody's taking my life from me. I'm laying it down. I'm laying it down. It's not like, oh gosh, what do I do now? This is not what's going on. This is so important if we're going to have the right posture in this kind of environment that we find ourselves in. Do we enjoy this kind of environment that we find ourselves in? I do not. I mean, I saw an article <laughs> this, this, uh, this week that said, why is everyone so blank mad? That was the title of the article. And I was like, does this guy know? You know, and uh, they might, maybe they did. But the point is, like, that's not an environment I enjoy living in, okay? But if we're going to, we are living in it, and we are Christ followers in it. So if we're going to do that right, we're going to have to understand a lot of these things. <laughs> God can and does take care of himself, always. And if there's people telling you that if God doesn't do it, we have to do it for him, that is absolutely Baal worship. And Gideon's dad says this to these guys, and they go, he's right. This is the most interesting thing. And they rename, or they start giving a nickname to Gideon, um, Jerubbaal, because it means, like, let Baal contend with him. Like, you know, he tore the altar down. It's his business. You know, if this, if this God is really good, a God, he could take care of this God, but he doesn't. And what you start to see is that this action, this first step, so God comes to Gideon, like we talked about last week, says who he actually is. God tells him his identity. God alone can do things like that. In spite of all the circumstances we see and we define ourselves by, I'm nobody, I'm nothing, I have nothing to offer. God does not agree with that, and God is right. And God says things about him that are true. And so he starts to act on it. His first action is tear down these altars here, this altar that's to a false god. And in doing that, he makes people angry. But then when his dad tells them the truth again, if this is a god, he can take care of himself. It's like the lights come on and they go, you know, he's right. And you start to see the building of this movement that God is doing to free these people from this hordes of the Midianites that have taken over the land. Okay, which leads to action two. Remember, I said this was two actions. Action two, verse 33. Now, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the Valley of Jezreel. So now they're like, they're there. Okay. And all we have in our story, you have to, keep, you have to stay in the narrative here. <laughs> all we've done is tear down one altar in one town. Okay. And we didn't get killed for it. That's it. Now we have hordes of all the eastern peoples joined forces in crossing the Jordan in the valley of Jezreel. The Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew his trumpet, summoning, um, summoning the, I don't know how to pronounce this properly, Abiezrites, whatever. Follow him. These are like sub-clans and stuff. He sent messengers out throughout Manasseh and called the arms Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, these are the tribes. So they went out to meet with him. And so he's got to face this army, but the Spirit of the Lord has now come upon him. And he starts to call out to people, like, we need to go fight these guys. We are going to deal with this. And I believe it's kind of starting this 
you know, you see with him, he's like, this is a guy who's finally going to take action in some way. So he does. And then now these people are like, okay, let's go, let's start to gather. Now, you have to keep in mind this whole time, this sounds really good because, all right, we're going to go fight these guys. Imagine, like, the hordes. You know, this is thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and you're gathering up what you got. And it doesn't anywhere near equal that. So it's good, and it looks good, or it feels good that people are kind of, you know, but you got, like, let's just imagine millions versus a couple hundred or something like that. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's an imbalance still. It's not like, well, we've got as many as they do, so we've got a fair shot. It's at least 50-50, you know. It's not how it was. So Gideon, which I, I, I like this because I think it helps us, okay. Gideon's like, I need to make sure about this. Because still, like last week, you know, God, why are you saying this about me? I'm just a nobody. I have nothing to offer here. Uh <laughs> Isn't there someone else? Where, I mean, well, I don't know. You know, this doesn't seem to add up to me. Now he's like, "Well, I got some guys, but they got like some lots more." You see, I need to make sure. But you know, because but I've done what you said. We tore down this thing, and they didn't. You know, you know, it's working. This thing is working. But I need to make sure. And so he goes to God to make sure. Gideon, and this is verse thirty-six. Gideon said to God, "If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place this piece of this a place a wool fleece." on the threshing floor, and if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. So he's like, God, I'll make a deal with you. I'm willing to do it, but I need to make sure. So here's how we're going to do this. This is not possible. I'm going to put out this thing, and if there's no dew anywhere but just there, okay. All right? God's like, okay. And then he says in verse 38, and that, is, and that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day, and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. So God's making a big point here. Like, now it's not only like, did not only the dew not fall on this area. He's like, I'll just give all of that dew to this one thing. Like, you could, you know, he squeezed out a bowl full of water. I mean, that would get your attention. And you go, okay, I'm feeling pretty good. But he's like, thinking again, you know, there's still a lot of guys over there. Okay, verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. <laughs> Let me make just one more request. Allow me to test with the fleece, but this time, make, maybe this was just, a, you know, maybe I got lucky or I don't know, you know. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. <laughs> and that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was, was covered with dew. So what can we learn from this? I think that we can learn that it is definitely okay to check with God about things, especially important things. And I think you can even learn from this how merciful and, and kind God is that he's even okay with him checking again. Like he did a miracle the first time. Like that would count as a miracle. And one miracle was, <laughs> this guy's like, look, <laughs> I need to be absolutely sure because maybe, you know, and I have OCD, so I kind of get where he's coming at. He's like, maybe I, you know, maybe I didn't make the qualifications good enough that somehow, you know, something could have, you know. So not only are we going to not, we'll, we'll do it again, but this time I need it to be the opposite. Because if I made it, if I didn't do it right, then maybe, you know. And so what I'm trying to say about this is that God is okay with that. God knows how we are about things. But it's important to, 
um, distinguish this from something else because we can ask, when we're trying to do something on God's behalf, it's kind of important that you take that seriously and make sure you're sure, which is very different than something else. I'm going to read this. This is from Matthew 12. This is not the same thing, okay? Because I know some of your minds are probably going, yeah, but what about when this happened? And I'm going to tell you why this is different. One day, some teachers of the religious law, this is Matthew 12, 38. One day, some of the teachers of, the, of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So it sounds like, at kind of the first glance, (laughs) that Jesus himself is saying, don't do this kind of thing. You know, like, don't, you know. And what I'm thinking is very important to distinguish between these two things is um, one, the Gideon one, is I think God is telling me to do something that sounds crazy. And I want to be sure about that. Because I'm, re- I'm willing to do what God is wanting me to do. But I need to be sure about that so that I don't just go out there and get killed or get a bunch of other people killed. You know what I mean? I need to be sure about that. This is serious stuff. I'm... Just making sure I am understanding that what God is saying is correct. That's the Gideon side. Versus these Pharisees saying, God or Jesus wants you to work a miracle to prove who you are. The difference between these two things is kind of like what I was talking about before about denying ourselves. They have These are related in that one puts us... The one of the the religious leaders that challenged Jesus puts us in the judge's seat. You prove to me who you are, which is very different than saying, I'm willing to act on what God wants me to do. I just need to make sure that it's what he's actually saying, and I didn't just make it up, you see. One puts us in the judge's seat, and do you want God to prove himself to you on your terms, which is what they're saying. Like, I don't want you to just prove who you are. I want you to prove who you are, the way I want you to. Is this this distinction making sense here? And the other is to admit that we are fallen and we misunderstand things and we just want to make sure that we got the right message. And so, to wrap all of this up as we close, so Kayla, you can come on up here. The, uh, The message that I believe God has for us last week is he's the one who gives us our identity. He's the one who tells us the way things truly are. And today, I think, is the challenge for us to begin to act in our lives on that knowledge, not for ourselves. And frankly, maybe not even doing things we're always comfortable with, but carefully and cautiously, as we can see, very cautiously being willing to take action on the truth because Jesus said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves 
take up their cross and follow me. Because whoever wants to save their life will lose it. That's what that whole idol worship thing is about. I'm going to pray and give an offering here. Maybe we'll get rain. I'm going to pray and give an offering here. and Maybe we'll have money, prosperity, these kinds of things. I'm going to do all these things right, and then my life will be saved. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny that any of this even, like, deny this. Tear this down because it's not real. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? We're we're in a world full of people who don't know the truth of what what that whole that whole verse. And he says it again a second way. What can anyone even give in exchange for their soul? What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? That kind of comment isn't stating it like, guys, come on, you know, like, I'm going to make a really good argument why gaining the whole world isn't... I'm going to make an argument. For the whole You're going to have the whole world or your soul being saved. I'm going to make an argument that this one's way better. Like, let's lay this out. He's not even saying that. Like, he's saying that the scale is so balanced or imbalanced to this side of the salvation of your soul. So imbalanced that it's laughable to consider them in the same sentence like what good is that like are you kidding me that's the tone like what good is that what good is that but these idols that Gideon found in his father's house Gideon found in his his land his life our lives these idols are what we spend most of our time caring about concerned about worshiping and serving even to the point that when somebody upsets one of them we like Gideon's townspeople want to go out and fight we haven't realized that these were really gods they could take care of themselves like Jesus can take care of himself so I believe the Lord is speaking to your heart and to my heart and I'm going to open this time while Kayla is going to play a song I believe there's some of us that need to come to the altar, the front here, and leave some things, even just before the Lord saying, God, I am no longer worshiping this idol anymore. In the book of Jeremiah, we talk, it talks about casting down idols. This is not something we ever left behind just because we got enlightened as a society. We have to cast down all the idols or else they raise up and we worship Angela and some of these people will be available to pray with you guys. And at the, at the end of this song, I am going to pray to close the service officially. But since we have food, I'm going to pray to bless the food and then invite everyone to gather so we can pray. But I want to take a moment here to allow 
us to respond to God. If God has been highlighting something in your life where he's like, yeah, when he's talking right now, that's the idol that you worship. It's not me. I'm not that. It's time to, to drop that. And it's time to let it be, like, let it, <laughs> when we worship these idols, we think they're so powerful. We think they're so good. We think they have so much beauty and all this kind of stuff. And the moment you cast them down, you realize this is just a bunch of wood. This isn't even anything. And only till that moment do you, do you realize. So, Father, I pray that you would release in this place, in this building, or within the sound of my voice, an idol-smashing spirit. Let your Holy Spirit move in ways that smash the idols of our lives, that we may worship you and you alone in the spirit and truth. In Jesus' name. And if you need to deal with some things with God, you need to come forward and do it. And while Kayla's singing this song.
So I'm going to say a prayer so we can close the service for the the streaming online. But those that are here, we're going to, as soon as the service is over, I want anybody that feels led, and all, anybody who's a leader here on staff especially, I want to gather up here. We're going to pray for David Brown as he steps into military service. That's an important thing. We want to honor that and pray strength and prophetic words over him. And I also want to pray a blessing over the food. And we can hang out as long as we want. And uh, there's a lot of soup, so we can eat as much as we want. And uh, I invite everyone to stay. And 